Kaitai. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Nice to be with you. Wallace Chapman here. Maid Shen and Guy Williams with me and Maid just walked in. Kia ora. Very nice to have you on the programme. Lovely to be here. Lovely. And I just always forget until I see Guy again that he is six foot six. He's very tall. <laughs> but I just want you to know that I was great at soccer too and I captained the A-team and it was because I was fast. Very, very okay, tall. Well, not because I was tall. I would not want to That's play it. you. Yeah, well I tell you, it's easy. What you do is you go straight for them. You look at them in the eye, you go straight for them. And girls don't like one, to be injured and two, to have their uniform well, dirty. that's a bit. That so might be a was, bit too controversial on that particular <laughs> it subject. Was so let's, successful. let's get straight into an equally controversial subject. The government has made a U-turn on the entrenchment rule, which would have required sixty percent of votes in the House to overturn the legislation. Morning reports: Corin Dan questioned the Prime Minister this morning on whether Minister Nanai Mahuta had advised her about the clause. We need to know whether or not she was explicit in telling you something that you were going to vote for was 60% or 75% on a very important constitutional amendment. Uh, What we need to know, Corin, is that a mistake has been made and we're taking it as a team and we're going to fix it. Entrenchment usually requires a supermajority or 75% of the parliament. So things like voting age, length of parliamentary term, the method of voting all need more than a bare majority of at least 75% of all MPs, uh, 90 MPs or more out of 120, or support from a majority of voters at a referendum. With us is the president of the Law Society, Fraser Barton. Kia ora, Fraser. Uh, kia ora. So, yes, the Law Society has called it constitutionally objectionable, very strong uh, sentiments there. Uh, Fraser, explain that for us. Why are you so objected to this? Well, uh, Wallace, you just, as you just explained, um, we use entrenchment for very fundamental constitutional rights, such as um, voting and uh, the structure of our parliament. It is not to be used on other occasions, and um, uh, this is what we call a matter of contestable policy, which is um, you know, it's something people can vote on and um, it should be governed by ordinary majority. And, and that is the established convention. And what was proposed um, is contrary to the established convention. Yeah, I think what, what, what was it Andrew Giddes who said a key part of our constitutional setup is that tomorrow's MPs are free to come along and undo whatever they decide. Is that sort of the rub of it? That's right. The, um, our system operates on the basis of what we call parliamentary sovereignty, which is parliament is supreme, parliament can do what it likes, and it can undo what it likes. And, 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 and you, sh- you shouldn't be able to bind future parliaments. So it's actually quite an important principle because you could have a, one government that has, a, um, for whatever reason, a majority um, and it um, passes this sort of legislation which then hampers uh, future governments which might not have the same numbers. Well, let's go around the panel. They're sure to be wanting to jump into this, particularly May. May Chen, your uh, views on this particular issue. Oh, it's great to hear you, uh, Fraser, and congratulations on becoming yes. the new president of the Law Society. It's great to have uh, someone from the Deep South. Yes, yeah, thank you, May. No, not at all. So, of course, the key issue that Fraser 
is raising is that this is a matter by convention. That means it's not actually explicitly set out in law. And parliamentary sovereignty means that Parliament is sovereign and can pass any law at all. So actually, if you look at the standing orders in in Standing Order 270, it actually says that anything can be entrenched. Uh, as you know, an entrenchment doesn't just mean seventy-five percent. It means anything that is more than a simple majority over fifty percent. So Fraser is right. It is by convention, and that's why it's quite good that the government's going to look into this, because otherwise it's not written down. And to be honest, the fact that the government has now pulled back yep. shows you that the system works. Mm. So in terms of constitutional uh, system and healthy heart tick for our constitution, it's double ticks. It works because by convention, you really shouldn't do this unless it's really a matter of such importance that we all agree pretty much between ourselves that it shouldn't be the subject of uh, being beyond the reach of a simple majority of parliament to, to, to amend or to repeal. And so actually, this is an example of the system working. It's not an, exi- an example of the system not working. Fraser? Yes, yes, I, I agree. This is actually, I commend the government for rethinking this. This is democracy in action. When people see what's proposed and you get you know, academics and uh, various others um, um, pointing out the problems with it, the government listens and, and it changes its mind. Now, that's, I, I commend that and that is the way the system should work, exactly mm. as May has said. And most importantly, Fraser, I think it's important for the public to understand that entrenchment happens not just when it's 75%. If you look at Standing Order 270 uh, uh, subsection 2, it says it's any time when it's to be amended or repealed only by a majority of more than 50%. So the fact that it's 60% means it's still entrenched. Oh, okay. That's my point, sorry. And and I'm sorry, this is so so difficult. You you know, Fraser, I had an argument with Sir Geoffrey Palmer back in 1992 when we were just publishing, yes, I was only three at the time, (laughs) publishing our our first book on constitutional law. And I said to him, mate, I'm not writing a section on entrenchment. No one's going to read it. No one's going to be interested in it. But what the show is that any time you move away from a simple majority of parliament, because that's what parliamentary yeah. sovereignty is, then the alarm bell should be ringing. Can Red just, flags should be waving. Can I just, can I just, lo- just jump in? And I mean, because Greens, Eugenie Sage, uh, Fraser, said that this is strengthening protections against the privatisation of water, right? So it's a water-focused entrenchment. Now, uh, and I'm wondering if we can just extend that. To, are there some things uh, in life that... Um, need to be really strongly entrenched. I'm looking at the World Health Organization, right? So they say that international human rights law obliges states to work towards achieving universal access to water and sanitation for all. So what I'm saying to you, Fraser, is that universalizing water is not like the three strikes law. It's not like the voting age. It's not even like the right to the level of income tax. It's actually incredibly fundamental to who we are. And that is one thing above all that needs strong entrenchment. What would you say to that? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a valid opinion. Um, and what I would say is, look, it just these are matters that traditionally have been matters of policy. as to, and, and there's questions of resources as well. And that's for Parliament to decide. That's for the voting but, uh, but, but is water 
a matter of policy. I see that the voting age is a matter of policy. I see that three strikes law is a matter of policy. If I'm putting to you our international human rights obligations with the water, uh, as who says, is it beyond policy? Um, I understand the argument, but it's where, where do you stop? You, know, you then talk about air quality, you talk about access to health care and education. And I mean, all, 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 these th- all these things sound really good and should probably be entrenched too. <laughs> But, yeah. but that's the point. The point is... Air quality, should... education, healthcare, great. Let's entrench I'm those just too. Saying, I'm just saying. No, but it's important that you've said it because that's the point. We need to have a discussion right. about these matters. What is so fundamental that we all agree that it should be the subject of what we would call supreme law, like yeah. higher law? Yeah, part water. Of, okay. Of water would be. To get because at. you see what I'm saying? We are human beings yeah, at its absolutely. essence. And yes. I get that matters the policies. But I was just asking if there are some that's beyond BP. So, uh, so we've decided as a society that there are certain things currently that are entrenched and we know what they are, and they're mainly, mainly around electoral matters. But the issue is whether that should be expanded, which is right. why I applaud the decision that's been taken to put this to a group that's going to look further into what should be entrenched and what I are the see. rules around entrenching mm. it. That's a good thing. We need to discuss it, because otherwise we end up discussing it in an ad hoc way when issues of the moment arise. Final comment, Fraser? Um, no, look, I agree with uh, with May that um, this is something we need to look at, and, and then a decision can be made as to maybe it is. There are other areas that need to be entrenched, but at the moment, this is outside that traditional territory. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Right. Uh, kia ora, Fraser. Okay. Thanks very much for being with us. That's President of the Law Society, Fraser Barton, and woo, yeah. There's a lot of response on that. Sorry, I didn't so, contribute much, but I was. Just, everyone else seemed quite smart. <laughs> <laughs> so I just it's, let them go. There's well, we didn't even start on double entrenchment, and actually, the best oh way to explain this <laughs> when I used to teach like, no, this man, was we've got to move that, on. You know, it's like God. Can can God make a rock that God can't lift? Ooh. But anyway, we won't go there. Double entrenchment part two next time on the panel, <laughs> perhaps. Anyway, to this, the Ministry of Transport has announced three hundred and fifty million dollars worth of transport infrastructure to be established across the country. Now, the Transport Choices Package will give 46 councils increased funding to build bus stops, cycleways, bus lanes and more. The package includes 397 new or upgraded bus stops and 242 k's of cycleways to encourage more cycling. Matt Lowry is from the Greater Auckland uh, Transport blog. Kia ora, Matt. Are you there with us? Are you there, Matt? Yes, I'm here. Yeah, hi there, Matt. What do you take? What did you take from this package? Anything of interest for you? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's it's a really good package. It, it's you know, 350 million sounds like a lot, but it's really a, in these days it's a small motorway project scale of funding. Uh, but it covers a lot of things. It probably has a lot greater value. It's, what this is really about is giving people, as, as the name implies, about giving people choices to how they get around, and that's one part of how we deal with climate change and, and trying to reduce emissions. Is get some people out of their cars, you know, some people will, will move to EVs. Right. Uh, but a lot of people we need to get out of their, just get out of their cars and give them better options to do that so they can choose that rather than being forced out. Yeah, what I took from this, Matt, were those smaller decisions that potentially make a big impact. I'll give you one. Okay, so my closest bus stop, fine for if, I'm, if it's raining, but the two bus stops along, they are 
they don't even have a place to sit, not even a cover. You know, so um, it, it does not endear me well to actually stand there for five minutes with yeah. an umbrella. And, Matt, I'm thinking these are the sorts of things. For example, bus stop improvements could make a yeah. di- big difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and then the other one is, you know, one I'm quite excited about as well is, is some of these improvements for schools. So making it easier for kids to be able to walk to school safely. I mean, how can we how can we not want that? And that, you know, people, kids who can walk to school, then that's you know, potentially another car that's not on the road that's, um, you know, trying to commute at the same time and creating also safety issues for, for, for kids. So that that's a, those sorts of things are really win-win situations. Um, Matt, I, uh, there's a lot of loud drums that beat very loudly every time this sort of thing funding happens about people just hate bike lanes. Are these just a, a small group of people on the internet or is this a, a widespread kind of like sickness that's developing I, and why do people hate bike lanes so much well uh, most research shows that 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 the majority of people do support bike lanes most people just don't aren't vocal about it and that's a that's i guess a challenge is that people who are vocal about posing them are very very vocal and people who are, who are very supportive are generally tend to be much less vocal and you know the ideal if we had more people saying yes we want it uh, but the reality also is a lot of people don't understand how, how change how change can occur, even for them or for others, without that infrastructure in place. You know, we sort of expect people to be able to to cross the, the crocodile-infested waters before we can build before we can prove there's a need, a need for a bridge. Yeah, um, and, and it's not until often you know there's case after case here, both here and around the world, where people you know really oppose it, particularly particularly business owners really oppose cycleways and street improvement upgrades. And then all of a sudden they're the biggest champions for them because it, it increases their business and their and what have you. And so you know, we saw just the most recent one was in Dunedin. We saw that with the with the street upgrades there. So no, right. you know, these these sorts of behaviours and outcomes are pretty normal. Um, and it's how we get through it and how we we show the benefits on the other side. And mm. that's what part of this package is about: is that showing what those benefits are and keeping those things in place. Mm, I think it's wonderful to move away from car entitlement. I think it's wonderful to make it easier for people to adopt these other options. But I I would have thought that the biggest thing that would make a difference to what option people will choose, apart from just going in their private car, is certainty. It's still the delay issue in this country. I have to say that when you're in other cities around the world, you know, you, you you get the trains and the buses and they come and they come on time and you know that they're going to be there. There's just still so many delays and cancellations. Look, and, got, and buses yeah. and trains that just don't turn up. We've got to bring that up, Matt. Um, <laughs> we, we, we can perhaps forgive some of the uh, cancellations around staffing, but uh, the issue of certainty, and you'd know this, it's been brought up time and time again over years. Yeah, the, the two biggest drivers of public transport use are, are frequency and reliability, and then, you, then you've got safety and, and those other convenience factors as well. So... Yeah, if buses aren't turning out, then no, it doesn't encourage anyone to want to really use them. Um, and one one part of this package is there are there are some improvements to how we do that. And I, for example, in, in, in the northwestern Auckland, there is some funding for improvements to to connect to to bus improvements that are un, underway at the moment. So making those feeder bus routes work well, um, you know, and with better priority, th- those are really important factors to helping get more people. Using it, it, it also seems like getting kids riding a bike or walking to school, you know, because my, Minister Woods said, look, um, it's causing neighbourhood roads across NZ uh, turning them into a jungle. You know, they're a good old um, school rush hour. It's quite extraordinary. How did you get to school 
by the way, guy in Nelson. I used to walk just down Same. the hill, and it's lovely. But I, I also one and a half. I used to walk one and a half k's. I, <laughs> that's a good effort in the snow and the rain. Good effort, man. <laughs> I um. But my point was going to be is that I can also understand why parents are terrified because you cl- you go on the yeah. news social media feed and you hear all these horror stories from the UK or the Daily Mail or some trash website, and you can see why people get so afraid. Am I right? How do you how do you make parents confident that their parents can walk to school that's safely? A good point. Well, the parents could walk their kids to school, but then they need time. That's the thing. So yep. it, it just, you know, we all walk to school. I walk 4K there yeah. and back. I walk 5Ks. Five, five yeah. five oh, right, well, I lived on the side of a, 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 the, the road in a box in a paper bag. <laughs> no, but Must have been cold and didn't need it. Yeah, right. But you, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it, it, it really is, um, you, you need to go out of the way, uh, out of your way at the moment if you're going to do any of these things. Finally, Matt, before you go, um, Mayor Brown, looking to but this is across the motto, isn't it? You know, Christchurch is clustering as projects around Linwood and schools, Dunedin, uh, Waipa District Council. But Mayor Brown in Auckland said that when it comes to transport, every bit helped. Uh, are we on the road in the super city to having a fully joined-up system? Well, we, we are. There's a lot of issues with, with delivery on particularly walking and cycling projects, but wider, a wider thing with, with wider projects, we've had issues with, with delivery from Auckland Transport. Um, you know, there's a lot of great plans out there. What they really need is, is the political courage often to do them and, and get through that, you know, endless rounds of consultation that, that seem to occur. And if we can get past that, then there's actually some great projects sitting there waiting to go. And, and that's what part of part of this is some, delivering some of those. But there's plenty more out there that could be done. Very good. Thanks, uh, Matt. Kia ora. That's Matt Lowry there from The Greater Auckland uh, website. 25 past four, May Chen and Guy uh, Williams with me this afternoon. Soy sauce on ice cream, anybody? Perhaps sour cream on Christmas pudding. This is, just, this is making me feel sick. Or a jam in Vigie My Salmon. Wait till you hear mine. Actually, it's not too bad. <laughs> the ABC Tropical North asked its audience, what were their favourite strange food combinations? There is method to the madness, according to psychologist Kelly Anderson. She says memories associated to those foods might be an explanation. And retired university health lecturer Peter Upton said, Mixing interesting foods could bring dietary gains. With us... Wait, uh, it, wait good or bad dietary gains? Actually, it didn't say. It just dietary gains. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Does so, that just mean you get you put on weight? No, it doesn't. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, um, Positive dietary gains. Two, one, yes, 2101, what strange combinations did you enjoy? Here's one. A stale vanilla sponge and kiwi onion dip, dip says Sarah from Otatahi. That sounds bad. Why does it need bad. to be stale? Why does it need to be stale? That sounds terrible. With us from Carpathy is Blanche. Kia ora, Blanche. Kia um, Wallace. How are you doing? Not too badly. Now... Your mother swore by a very, can I just say it, just quietly, a very unique combination. Tell it to us. Yes, she had a passion for um, golden syrup with sliced garlic. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yes, I lacked the courage to ever have tried it myself. Can I ask how, how would she eat it? Like on a spoon? How do you? How do you? Is, is it on a clove of garlic? Sad, sandwich. 
she'd, she'd make a sandwich. Oh, that makes it, it worse. What type of bread? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably soggy white. <laughs> did did, it's, it, did it's, it have greater health benefits? <laughs> well, as I, as I said in my text, um, she lived to 96. Wow! Yeah, so, I, um, I can. I, I'd, I'd like to say I can visualise it: blanche, golden syrup, and sliced garlic. Because I love those ingredients separately, but together, I don't know. But what about you, Blanche? Is this? I'll tell you mine. Um, I once had a pineapple slice. I cut up a pineapple, and Dad said, "Hold on, hold the horses." Do you know how to make pineapple better? And I said, "No, put salt on it." <laughs> and okay. I, I, yes, and Blanche, I said, "Dad." Get out of the room. He goes, just rub a little bit, rub a little bit on. I tell you what, Blanche, it tasted like paradise. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, you, and we do that a lot. And really? So, uh, what the Chinese like to do is we slice up apples and we put salt on them. What? And we slice up peaches, preferably green peaches, not not ripe. No. And we put salt on them and it, it makes them taste delicious. So it's, uh, oh. I think I think a lot of it's cultural and a lot of it's what you're used to. Um, and it's yeah, quite it's interesting. Fiji. Well, it's Fijian thing, isn't it? It's, it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, the first trip overseas after COVID lockdown, we landed in Singapore and there was a new store which was advertising uh, salmon skins dipped in egg yolk. And I just thought, okay, I'm obviously outside of New Zealand. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Blanche, lovely to have you on the program. Yeah, thanks, Wallace. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a reminder, Guy. Don't close your mind to unintended consequences. <laughs> no, wait, wait. So you and your dad are just sitting at home in your house in Dunedin, and you're getting... You're, is it fresh pineapple you're cutting up there? <laughs> no, it, was, it was this time I was, Auckland, I was in Auckland. And you're uh, salting and, up some pineapple and yeah. having a bite, and it's <laughs> fresh... Oh, that's just... And, that's, and actually, green apples are even better. But this is serious. I, I kid serious. you not. I can, it's seriously beautiful. But just eating that, I, I, I kind of get it. But like, you put it in, add more ingredients and make a pizza, or like, you're really just not just. It's so grim just to be salting pineapple and just putting it in your gob. It's like eating the teller out of the jar. It's, it's very, very tasty, right? Uncivilized. The, the apple, apple works. It works yeah, on apple. Yeah, I'm starting to think that this says something about you, guy. Mm. What? What? <laughs> and your cultural closetness. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Salty pineapple. Oh my um, goodness! Now the sponge does need to be stale. It's for texture. Obviously, <laughs> not this person again. Not this person in their stale sponge. So do you intentionally make it stale? Do you leave it out? Yeah, it may be like the bread pudding. If you're making nice bread pudding, I think you use stale bread. Uh, Savaloy's dip in condensed milk. I think, what? I think if you go tramping, you sometimes eat weird combinations that's right. because that's all there's in, there is in your pack. That's right. Yeah. Uh, when I lived in the Cook Islands, it was customary to have Vegemite with avocado on toast. Uh, here's one. Ugh. Soy sauce on avocado, remove the stone, and pour in the hole uh, a little bit of chilli sauce. There you go. Who are these billionaires that are scooping out straight <laughs> avocados as well? <laughs> They've got so much money and so little taste. Well, let's just not... Um, yeah, anyway, uh, you're on the panel, Lawrence and Nash, 